Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Impact Wrestling, WWE SmackDown, and also AEW Rampage. To start off the show, I wanted to talk about two uh, departures within the professional wrestling uh, world this week. We've got, well, technically, one from last week and one this week. Um, I forgot to mention last week, um, former AEW wrestler, Big Swole, female competitor, she announced that she and AEW had decided to part ways, so she is no longer a part of the AEW roster that ended uh, their relationship amicably, so there is no bad blood on either side, so... And if you don't know who Big Swole is, personal note is she is married to WWE wrestler who's on on Monday Night Raw, Cedric Alexander. But if you look up uh, Big Swole, you'll see her. She her uh, most infamous technically match is um, her having a match with B- Baker, a tooth and nails match, but it was a cinematic match on AEW, and I believe that was last year. Um. This week we got another wrestling uh being a wrestler being terminated from WWE, well, released in their words. Um his name is Jeff Hardy. If you don't know Jeff Hardy, just look up you might know Team Extreme or the Hardy Boys. He was the brother, he is the brother of Matt Hardy. Um WWE decided to release him and there has been no like official reason why he's technically been like released there's always been speculations the only thing that we do know for certain is that last week at a live event Jeff Hardy was um doing a match a six-man tag match his partners were Drew McIntyre and King Woods going against the bloodline the Usos and Roman Reigns at one point in the match he left out of the like he tagged out and then he just like went through the crowd and went uh to the back and he never came back to the ring and then WWE sent him home um, that's the only thing that we do know for certain. Um, there has been reports that WWE tried to get him rehab and help, but Jeff Hardy declined it. Like I said, those have been reports. I don't know for certain. Jeff Hardy hasn't said anything about it. Um, only thing I do know is WWE has released Jeff Hardy. Only thing I do know is this as well, is that if anything is going wrong with Jeff Hardy, do not try to contact the man right now. He got, he's... Um, I will say we all just need to wait and find out just like everybody else. We didn't know it was over John Moxley until Tony Khan and Tony Khan got the information from John to say something. So again, until somebody from Jeff Hardy's like family beside, cause his wife sent out a tweet saying that he's good. The family's good. We're good. And even Matt Hardy, uh, was on Twitch on Monday and he said that my brother is fine. Everything's good until if you still don't find um, solace and two people that know Jeff Hardy that well, his wife and his brother saying that he's fine. Listen, just waiting until Jeff Hardy decides to say something. But until then, uh, my two cents podcast, uh, my family and myself and, uh, everything that I do know and every person out here on the wrestling world, at least knows that Jeff Hardy is a loved figure and, Everybody that knows Jeff Hardy, at least in professional wrestling wise, they love the guy. They don't say nothing bad about the guy. We know Jeff Hardy has had some issues in his uh, personal life before, but hey, he'll get everything together. And whenever he decides to come back or if he decides to come back, hey, 
out WWE, AEW, any promotion will gladly take him, and he's a beloved figure in professional wrestling. Shoot, if I ain't going to front with you, I would rather have Jeff Hardy retire right now because my man has had some vicious, and I mean some atrocious uh, things happen to his body. He's put his body through a lot of punishment. I mean, he... Almost at a level, I would like to say, of a Mick Foley-esque. Mick Foley was a heavier set guy, so yes, the wear and tear was on him way bad physically, because remember, a heavy set dude with, like, knees and everything, they ain't that great. But Jeff Hardy, he was always, like, athletic. He was always, like, slim and everything else. But, remember, jumping off of ladders, going through tables, getting you hit in your back with steel chairs and other random objects. I mean, Jeff Hardy was the legit, the... Uh, high flyer in the Hardy Boys, and then you, even whenever he was separated from his brother Matt, he was still doing uh, crazy maneuvers. Still to this day, he'll still do a swanton bomb. And personally, to me, if somebody decides to put their knee up and just pop Jeff in the back, dude, that is a bad, bad uh, way to just take a falling off of a swanton that's coming. And you know that you got to get your back get hit with knees, Jeff. I don't know how Jeff still is even able to even wrestle, but hey, long story short, uh, thoughts and prayers with Jeff Hardy, the Hardy family, Big Swole's family as well, and um, yeah, thoughts and prayers with them. So, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw opens up with a steel cage match from Big E Langston, well, the WWE champion Big E, and Kevin Owens. Big E wins the match by uh, escaping through this door of the steel cage after delivering an avalanche big ending to Kevin Owens. Um, during the match, however, Seth Rollins did come down and slam the steel cage door on both Kevin Owens and Biggie's face as they were both were near the door and Kevin Owens had Biggie in some type of uh, face gouging maneuver. Seth slams the door into both uh, KO and Biggie's face. I just wanted to throw it out there because after the match, Seth Rollins attacked Biggie from behind as the steel cage was being raised up. And then as soon as the steel cage was being raised, Seth Rollins was able to slide into the ring and start attacking Kevin Owens. And this will continue to happen until Seth was looking to hit the curb stomp on Owens, but was caught in midair by Biggie, and Biggie delivered a belly-to-belly suplex on Seth. Biggie then picked up Kevin Owens and delivered a big ending on him. And then Biggie decided to celebrate with his WWE championship in the air. And that's whenever commercial, we had a commercial break. When we come back from commercial break, we see Biggie sat down on the outside. Just looks like he got beat down. Uh, he looks exhausted while Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins are both in the ring, just laid out. Because during commercial break, Bobby Lashley would come down to the ring and he would spear Biggie. He would then turn his attentions to both Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. He would attack both men. And he was there just basically to throw his name into the WWE Championship uh, hat. Because later in the night, before the night if, uh, would come to an end, we would go backstage and MVP and Bobby Lashley were talking. And an interviewer stopped him and asked him what was that whole situation about. MVP told the interviewer that um, there's a WWE Championship conversation going around and Bobby Lashley's name is not being mentioned. And that's disrespectful. People in this day and age have become accustomed to being disrespectful to people without no consequences coming towards them. So tonight was just basically 
uh, consequences for disrespecting Bobby Lashley. And Bobby Lashley interrupts and says, nobody ever disrespects Bobby Lashley. So we will come probably next week to find out. Maybe next week they'll announce that. Probably at day one, it'll be a fatal four-way match and adding uh, Bobby Lashley to the WWE Championship match between KO, Seth, and Biggie. Maybe. I believe that's where they were going with here with this. Anyway, um, after this match, we will get Queen Selena with Carmella uh, going against Nikki A.S.H. with Rhea Ripley in her corner. Queen Selena wins the match by pinfall when she hits Nikki with the code red. This match was fine. Nothing more to talk about here. Uh, after this, we get RK Bro at the gorilla position. Riddle has a sports blazer on. Uh, this whole segment was basically trying to get Randy to put on the sports blazer because there'll be a commentary uh, table watching as teams compete in an arcade bro tournament, which is basically four tag teams, two separate matches, uh, first round matches. The winners of those teams will come and fight each other next week on the finals to see who will be challenging uh, arcade bro for the Raw Tag Team Championships. Uh, we get to the first round of the tournament is AJ Styles and Omos going against the Street Profits. The Street Profits win the match by ring out when they and they advance to the tournament. This happens when AJ was the legal man and he was looking to hit the phenomenal forearm on Montez Ford, but Omos tags himself in. Angelo Dawkins then put Omos from the ring apron, and Omos is now fighting Dawkins on the outside of the ring as the referee is counting. The referee ends up counting to 10. Omos is counted out. That's how the Street Profits uh, advance in the tournament. After the match, AJ Styles. And Omos are in the ring, and AJ tells Omos that he needs to listen to him because that's how this thing works. And he says this to him not, like, demandingly. He tells it to him, like, sincere. But Omos just decides to walk away from AJ and goes directly to the back. Riddle gets out of commentary table. He runs into the ring, and he tries to conduct an interview with AJ Styles. AJ lets Riddle know that him and Omos are just having a disagreement, but that's what a great tag team does. And they go through this, but... Riddle has never been through this because AJ considers Riddle a joke. AJ tells Riddle to get out of his face, and he walks to the back. Next thing we get is a Becky Lynch backstage interview. Uh, Becky talks about how tonight's Raw Women's Championship match against Liv Morgan will be Liv Morgan's biggest battle on the biggest night for Liv. Not just because for the Raw Women's Championship, but mentally, Liv will be going against herself not going against Becky because Liv keeps on getting to the top, almost to the top, but then somehow like loses focus and loses momentum and somehow goes herself way back to the bottom. Becky finishes off by saying tonight is just another Monday for big time Bex and walks away. And this is basically saying that she is going to retain her Raw Women's Championship. Maybe. Uh, after this, we get a United States Open Challenge uh, match, basically for the United States Championship. Damian Priest has an open challenge, and the man to answer it for this week is Bobby Roode, and by his side is Dolph Ziggler in his corner. Damian Priest wins the match by pinfall when he hits the reckoning on Bobby to retain the United States Championship. Uh, after the match, the referee was holding up Damian Priest's hand in victory, and Dolph Ziggler super kicked uh, Damian and then left out of the ring, and he proclaims that next time uh, Bobby Roode has a match with Damian Priest, Bobby will be leaving with the United States Championship. This was the first match... Since Damian Priest has went through a, a whole new character of the bipolar character, um, Damian has not, like, shown himself up as that angry, like, snafu, like, side of him. 
he was actually able to maintain the wrestler in him and not get angry and snap. So this was the first match since uh, the whole transformation. And personally, it was all right. After this, we would get Dewdrop going against Bianca Belair. Before the match began, though, Bianca was making her way to the ring, doing her entrance, but she was attacked from behind by Dewdrop, and they got their match started, and Bianca ends up winning the match by countout, because when, during the match, Bianca and Dewdrop were going back and forth, and then it got to a point that Dewdrop was close to the turnbuckle, and Bianca Belair tried to lift up Dewdrop and hit her with the KOD, but Dewdrop weaseled her way out of the hold, and then rolled out of the ring and proceeded to walk up the ramp. And that's how Bianca Belair won the match by countout. We then go to Mr. McMahon in his office. And Austin Theory walks in and talks with Vince. Vince informs Austin that tonight he's going to be putting him in a match. And Austin is so excited about this. Vince then asks Austin, did you really think I'm going to put you in a match? Austin said no. And apparently this was another test that Austin failed. That Vince is trying to like get Austin underneath his wing. I don't know what they're trying to do with Austin Theory and Mr. McMahon. I don't know. Just get Austin Theory as the next uh, big thing or the next, um, what was Drew McIntyre? Uh, God, uh, chosen one. I don't think they're trying to say Austin's the chosen one, but they're trying to give Austin a nice like, little uh, pep step so he can be like one of their top mid-card guys. After this, we go to the ring, and it's a Miz TV segment, and his guest for this week is Edge. I'm going to say this right now. I had no problem with this uh, segment between Miz and Edge, because Miz gave his gripes to Edge. He, first and foremost, couldn't believe how Edge was giving him compliments last week, and he told Edge point blank that, I didn't need your compliments. As a matter of fact, I don't need your compliments. Whenever I, the time that I needed your compliments was in 2006, whenever I was a pariah and they kicked me out of the locker room and I had to change somewhere else and all this type of things. Now I don't need your compliments. My career has succeeded far past yours has ever been. Edge had to tell Miz point blank, yo, I gave you permission. I gave you advice. I gave you all this type of teachings in 2006. But what did you do? You didn't listen to me. You thought you were better than every other wrestler back there because you came from somewhere else and then you jump here and you think that you're better than everybody. You're not that. The thing with this is that this still reeks of an MJF and CM Punk, but like at a mid-level version of MJF and CM Punk. The Miz should be complaining to Edge about uh, how... He needed Edge's uh, compliments in 2006. We Miz knows that he's good. Miz knows that he is like he's far super surpassed anybody's like idea of what he would become in WWE. In 2006, yeah, you would sit question yourself, why is the Miz here? As a matter of fact, I used to be one of the guys that asked, why is Miz here? Why is he here? I knew of his time on MTV because by God, would JBL mention it in 2006? But when he teamed up with John Morrison, that all changed for me. And I realized that, okay, the Miz got something here. And I really jumped on the Miz bandwagon whenever Miz and Morrison really teamed up together together their first run and they won the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships. See, the Miz has superseded every obstacle and hurdle that came thrown his way. He can wrestle. Well, now he can 
talk on the mic. He's well-dressed. I mean, he looks like a main eventer. If you give him the ball to really run with it, he could actually do it. I'm just not understanding why they're putting Miz and Edge together at this point. Miz should be trying to clip off at somebody else. They should try to throw him a hot uh, young upstart as his like protege or his wing guy. As a matter of fact, the Miz should have shown up on Emmett, uh, NXT and tried to mentor a Grayson Waller or some sort. Another guy that comes from television that goes to professional wrestling in NXT. That's where they should be doing with Miz, but then they have him with Edge here. Hey, whatever. Again, this whole rivalry just reeks of a mid-level version of MJF and CM Punk with Edge being the veteran like CM Punk is in MGF. Well, the Miz being the MGF, but MGF is really 25 years old. The Miz, he ain't 25. He ain't a spring chicken no more. Anyway, this whole segment was to set up uh, their upcoming match at day one, the Miz going against Edge. Um, I mean, there's no more to it. I mean, it was a fine promo between the two. It didn't sound like MGF and CM Punk, but you could tell the vibes from it. It's like, okay, I still know where you're going with this. I still know what you're trying to do here. They need to revamp this, and I hope at day one, which is coming up real soon, they hurry up and get done with this, and then Edge can go about his way and go to the Royal Rumble, and Miz can go to his way. Hopefully, the NXT to help out Grayson Waller and take him underneath his wing. Or better yet, bring Grayson Waller up to the main roster and do that. Hey, that just means spitballing here. Anyway, after this segment, we get a Liv Morgan backstage promo. And she basically responds to everything Becky Lynch said earlier. Liv talks about how Becky is right and how people are going to be watching her tonight. But the people are going to be watching to see her take the championship off of Becky She closes the promo out by saying that she's going to do everything in her power to take the championship from Becky tonight and become the new Raw Women's Champion. After this promo, we go back to in-ring competition, and it's the other round of the RK Bro tournament, and it's the Mysterios going against the Alpha Academy. The Mysterios win the match, and they advance to next week, so it will be the Street Profits going against the Mysterios. Winners will get RK Bro more than likely at day one for the Raw Raw, uh, Tag Team Championships. Uh, this happens when Dominic was able to roll up Chad Gable after Chad missed hitting Dominic with the moonsault from the top rope and got the win. After the match, Riddle gets in the ring and he tries to interview Alpha Academy, but Otis picks up Riddle and hits him with the World's Strongest Slam. End of story. Uh, after this, we get Mr. McMahon again in his office and he's on the phone and right beside him is Austin Theory, now in his ring gear, and he's doing jumping jacks. Vince gets off the phone and lets Austin know that his match has now since been canceled. Uh, this is can- He's canceling the match because Austin wasn't ready the first time whenever he saw Vince in his ring gear. Vince lets Austin know that he needs to find a way to impress him, Vince. Austin then unzips his jacket and then starts doing jumping jacks again, now with his stomach just exposed, a six-pack. Vince tells Austin to stop and tells him to use his brain and find a way to impress him. Austin then looks down and starts smiling and says he's got it. And he walks out of Vince's office. So now we're going to figure out and have to wait and see what Austin is going to do to surprise and impress Vince. We go to in-ring. It's Finn Balor going against T-Bar. 
Finn wins the match by pinfall when he hits the coup de gras on T-Bar for the win. And after the match, Finn gets his hand raised by the ref and he gets attacked from behind by none other than Austin Theory. Austin Theory hits Finn with the ATL and then he takes a selfie of Finn Balor laid out in the ring, walks out of the ring, starts walking up the ramp and he says, that's impressive. So hopefully we'll get Austin Theory going against Finn. And might I say this, Finn is a great superstar. He doesn't need to be on the main roster. That's what we're going to do. If they're going to constantly not put Finn Balor in that main event picture, like Finn needs to be, and he should be, I'm going to let you know right now. We're losing Finn Balor from WWE whenever his contract goes up. Finn's not re-signing. I'm just going to call it right now. Finn is not re-signing. He's leaving from this, all right? Uh, after this, Dana Brooke is walking backstage with the 24-7 championship, and then is stopped by Reggie. Reggie tells Dana that he likes how she pinned Cedric Alexander to win the 24-7 championship and how the belt looks good on her. Dana says thank you to Reginald and then starts running because Tamina is running after her. But Reggie was able to get in between Dana and Tamina so Dana can run off. But then Tamina was able to out, uh, well, step aside Reginald and run after Dana Brooke. And that's the end of this segment. Now it's time for the main event of Raw, the Raw Women's Championship match. Becky Lynch going against Liv Morgan. Becky wins the match by pinfall when Becky was looking to hit the manhandle slam on Liv, but Liv was able to counter out of it and roll up Becky Lynch. Then Becky was able to lean back, and now Becky is taking advantage of the pin, and she's next to the ropes. You know where I'm going with this. As the ref is counting, one, two, she puts her hand on the bottom rope to to gather more leverage. Referee doesn't see it, counts to three. Becky retains her championship by pinfall, but by nefarious means. So more than likely, we'll probably get a rematch of Becky going against Liv Morgan at day one. But again, that is the end of your Raw highlights of the week. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with a steel cage match. Another steel cage is Kyle Riley going against Von Wagner. Von Wagner wins the match by pinfall when he delivers a low blow to Kyle Riley then decides to throw Kyle Riley into the steel cage uh, multiple times. Then he hits Kyle Riley with a double underhook uh, spin, at, spin out, sit out uh, slam for the win after the match. Vaughn picks up Kyle Riley, puts him in the tree of woe next to the steel cage door, and then throws uh, the door into Kyle Riley's uh, body three times, and then he walks to the back. This whole NXT night was basically the send-off for Kyle O'Reilly and Johnny Gargano. You already, As you already heard from me, Kyle O'Reilly is now uh, leaving NXT. At least that's what it seems right now, because it hasn't been like affirmed that he's signed a new contract, so we're only going off the assumption that he's left NXT, and also with a small little something that would come out later on the NXT product. And tonight, we're willing to see we're waiting to see technically what will happen to Johnny Gargano because in the main event, the last segment of the night, you will hear of Johnny Gargano talking to the NXT uh, fans. So this whole episode was basically building up what would Gargano say, but with other things to get people interested in NXT. Uh, the next thing that happens after this match, however, is a video playing of Joe Gacy announcing that Harland, his Michael Myers scary looking friend, will have his in-ring debut next week, and people will witness what Harlan's able to do. 
after this video plays, we get Braun Breger walking to the ring. He has a bandage above his uh, eyebrow, and he has some uh, athletic, like, bandage tape on his shoulders. And Braun is out here to say that he respects Team Black and Gold, basically Team Old School, after their match at War Games. But he still throws out the challenge to Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship since he pinned him at War Games and Tommaso pinned him at Halloween Havoc. So he considers this one-to-one and he wants to rematch. Diamond Mine comes out without Roderick Strong. So it is the Creed Brothers, Ivy Nile, uh, Hatcherman, Coach Hatcherman, and also Malcolm Bivens. Malcolm Bivens does all the talking here. Bivens tells Braun that Roderick Strong has uh, lifted the weight limit for the Cruiserweight title and that he wants his next big money matchup to go against Braun. Braun tells Malcolm that he will beat up anybody just to get it back to Champa, so he accepts Roderick's challenge. Braun leaves the ring so the Creed Brothers can have their tag team match next. And the Creed Brothers would go against Briggs and Jensen. Uh, both Grizzly Young Veterans and Imperial were out to watch the match. And the Grizzly Young Veterans, even at one point close to the end of the match, they stole Briggs and Jensen's tag rope. But that didn't matter because Briggs and Jensen were still able to win the match by pinfall when Jensen was able to roll up one of the Creed Brothers and win the match. The Creed Brothers didn't look at Grizzly Young Veterans and just snarled at them. So we're probably going to see the Creed Brothers probably beat up Grizzly Young Veterans probably next week or the week after. Uh, we go backstage, and Von Wagner is backstage in an interview. Von mentions that War Games is done. Kyle O'Reilly is done. But Von Wagner's War Games is just beginning. Do I know what that means? No. Do I know what Von is trying to say? Yes. He's trying to say that his path of destruction is now beginning. So now we're going to see a more vicious side of Von Wagner. Personally, let's see what the big man got. He's a new guy. I just want to see what he can do. NXT, this rebrand is all about the new upcoming stars. And uh, Von Wagner basically fits the bill for this. So let's see what this big guy basically has in the tank. Uh, we go now to an in-ring promo from Duke Hudson, who at War Games lost uh, in a hair versus hair match to Cameron Grimes. And now he's coming out with a blonde, awful wig that you know is a wig. He states that he was able to fix his hair after Cameron Grimes was able to uh, shave a little bit off of his head. And he's pointing at the blonde wig. He then states that Cameron Grimes is a disappointment to his family and anybody that is in contact with him. Cameron Grimes then comes out and states that he knew Duke would act like this, but he didn't think he would do this. Meaning coming out with a <laughs> awful, awful wig. Grimes then says that Duke put him through a table, cut his hair, and embarrassed him. Grimes then mentioned that Duke can't handle losing. Duke has the most fragile ego. Duke then replies and tells Cameron that he cheated and that the only way he can beat him is by cheating. So Grimes then threw out a challenge to Duke Hudson for a no-holds-barred match next week on NXT. Duke accepted, and then he tried to take a swing on Grimes, but Grimes was able to hit Duke first. Grimes then threw Duke into the ropes and he was looking to hit Duke with the cave in as Duke ran back to him, but Duke held onto the ropes and escaped out of the ring. And then Grimes ran after him and he grabbed onto the wig 
and tried to take the wig off of Duke's head, but Duke was able to escape with the wig remaining in place. The one thing I forgot to mention here is that Duke Hudson is wearing a wrestling headgear to keep the blonde wig in place. So he is doing the old Kurt Angle circa 2002 when he lost to Edge in a hair versus hair match at Judgment Day. Yes, I know the timestamps for that type of match. Um, anyway, after this, we go to a backstage in this Briggs, Jensen, and Jacket time. Remember that team of Kashida and uh, Ikaminjaro. Uh, they're backstage celebrating the uh, Briggs and Jensen's win over the Creed Brothers because these two teams do not like the Creed Brothers. Grizzly Young Veteran walks up on them and he tells they tell Briggs and Jensen that they should be thanking them for helping them win their match against the Creed Brothers. And then you get the team of Casey Carter and uh, Caden Cat. No, no. Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro, sorry, uh, walking past them and say that a win is a win and that they have two extra concert tickets and ask who wants to come with them. Briggs and Jensen takes them up on their offer and leaves. Jacket Time and Grizzly Young Veterans, they get in a fist fight after this because Jacket Time tells the Grizzly Young Veterans to shh. It's a sensitive operation playing back to last week's uh, failed attempt of Grizzly Young Veterans trying to get into Briggs and Jensen's locker. It was stupid. Uh, after this, we get another segment, but this time it's Grayson Waller. He's in the parking lot, and he's talking to a woman, and he shows her uh, photos and videos of him at War Games, basically trying to show up that he's a star and trying to show off to her. He then asks her what she got uh, planned for tonight, and she tells him that she has already has plans with somebody else. He asks who that she has plans with, and then a car pulls up, and none other than L.A. Knight walks out of that car. The woman walks to the car, gets herself in. Knight taunts Waller and say that I have something to do tonight while you have nothing. And basically, I stole your moment and drives off. Waller looks at the car and as he's driving off, he says, I'm going to make a moment tonight. And then we will have to see what Waller does in NXT tonight. Uh, after this segment, we get Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Dexter Loomis. Dexter Loomis is looking for a revenge after Carmelo and Trick uh, broke his hand. Dexter won the match by disqualification when Dexter had Carmelo in the silencer, but Trick Williams punched Dexter in the face and then pulled De Carmelo from Dexter Loomis. Once the bell rings, Dexter looks to lock the silencer on Trick Williams, and he does so, and Trick is yelling all out loud for Carmelo to save him. Carmelo pulls Trick out of the silencer and walk. they would decide to walk away. So it's setting up uh, Dexter Lewis basically being the next contender for the NXT North American Championship against Carmelo Hayes. I'm cool with that. Yeah, sure. Let's see what they got. Again, rebrand of NXT. New things got to happen. Sure, let's see what you guys can do. A video then plays of MSK finally revealing who the shaman is, and it's none other than Matt Riddle. And Riddle basically tells MSK that, hey, listen here, I'm going to be with you guys on your way back to the mountain, and you guys have nothing else to worry about. Because MSK tells Riddle that they uh, showed up to NXT, and they thought that they would have to face some adversities, but they accomplished everything relatively quick, and they've lost their way since they've gotten, like, Take it off the top of the mountain. Riddle is the shaman. Now, I've said it before. I tweeted it out. I'm cool with Riddle being the shaman here. Yeah, fine. I'm cool. But 
to me, I think that Shaman was originally supposed to go to John Morrison. John Morrison was the only guy in WWE to use the nickname Shaman. Shaman of sexy, Shaman of anything. He was just a Shaman, and that was his whole nickname. You mean to tell me that you fired John Morrison, you put Riddle in the spot? Riddle is fine. Again, fine. But Riddle's on Monday Night Raw, so now he got to fly out from Monday Night Raw to Florida and do this whole back and forth thing. I don't know how they're going to work this. I don't know, but it was completely stupid. I think that WWE gets themselves in a whole lot of situations that now they got to cover them, cover their butts to try to save a face. But again, this was a nice recovery with having Riddle being like the shaman. But again, John Morrison should have been here. And John Morrison, I believe, was the person that they were putting in that spot until they released him. After this segment, we go to Indy Hartwell and her tag partner, Persia, backstage. Persia tells Indy that she needs to leave Love at home and get her mind right so they can win the NXT Tag Team Championships. Indy tells Persia that she knows her love life is a mess, and she knows that her life is a mess, but she lets Persia know that she is 100% focused on this team. But as soon as Dexter walks in, Indy walks over to Dexter and jumps right into his arms. And she mentioned that she is so happy to see him and gives him a kiss. Johnny Gargano then enters the room and he says that he's happy to see his family all here together. And he hugs both Indy and Dexter while Persia just looks at that in disgust. So you can tell where this is headed for a complete uh, separation between Persia and Indy, but we'll have to see down the line when that will happen. After this, we would get a toxic attraction, uh, Gigi Dolan and JC Jane going against two, uh, two un, well, enhancement talent workers, female workers. Toxic attraction will win the match by pinfall when JC will hit one of the women with a spinning, well, a running spin kick to the head for the win. After the match, Mandy gets on the mic and she mentions how Toxic Attraction has all the gold and how everybody wants a shot at them. She mentioned how they aren't running away from anybody and then lists the names of Cora Jade, Io Shirai, and Raquel Gonzalez to come out to try to uh, basically challenge them for any type of gold. Cora comes out and she has an arm in a sling because of the War Games matches she had at War Games. She reminds Mandy that she beat her two weeks ago and how her team won their match at War Games, so she wants a shot at Mandy. Mandy tells her that she isn't the one, but tells Cora to get in the ring so she can get beat up on anyone. Raquel Gonzalez ends up making the save before Cora can do anything, and Raquel comes out with a steel chair, and she basically runs off Toxic Attraction. We will come to find out uh, later in the program, backstage, we get uh, Cora Jade, Raquel Gonzalez backstage. Cora is talking to Raquel about how she wants to be the next person to go against Mandy and possibly even win the NXT Women's Championship away from her. So we're going to get Cora going against Mandy somewhere down the line. But before they walk away, we see Kaylee Ray walk up to Cora Jade, hand her a green baseball bat, and tell her that you're going to need this more than me. So I guess we get... Uh, I guess it's been solidified. We're going to get Cora J going against Mandy Rose. When? I don't know. Probably at like New Year's, uh, their whole New Year's, uh, like bash type of deal on January, like the early days of January. That'll probably be when the match happens, but it hasn't been solidified yet. 
I'm just throwing out my estimation and guesstimation on that. Uh, we get a video of NXT's newest arrival basically coming. Tiffany Stratton is a character of a spoiled rich girl. And she mentioned how she did participate in gymnastics and ended up on Team USA. Shoot, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, this whole character of rich characters, like a rich snob on television, has been played up uh, many times. But not too many times of a spoiled rich daddy's girl. We've seen a whole lot of spoiled rich like guys being like the arrogant guys. We've seen that a lot. Ted DiBiase, uh, MJF, um, Shane McMahon. But Shane was cool, so I'm not really going to say Shane is a spoiled, like, rich boy. But, like, the only person that's got, like, the spoiled, rich, daddy's girl vibe was Stephanie McMahon. Other than that, I don't think we've seen a lot of that in, like, professional wrestling. So I want to see what they do with this Tiffany uh, Stranded. After this video plays, we get Tony D'Angelo backstage interview. Tony mentions how him and Pete still have some issues. Pete Dunn. And he even shows off uh, Pete Dunn's mouthpiece that he took from him at War Games, and he put it in a plastic case, and he talks about uh, selling this. He's going to sell this on eBay to make some money. But then Andre Chase walks up to Tony and congratulates him on the win, but he tells him that if he would have listened to his game plan, he would have looked like the star set of Grayson Waller. Tony then makes the uh, decision to challenge Andre Chase to a match next week on NXT, to show him what a real star looks like, and Andre Chase uh, jumps at that. So we will get Tony D'Angelo going against Andre Chase next week on NXT. After this, we go to the in-ring, and it's now Zion Quinn going against Santos Escobar with Legado del Fantasma in his corner. Santos won the match by pinfall when Santos was able to hit Zion with the Phantom Driver. But before he did do this, uh, as both... Zion and Santos were laid out in the ring. Electra Lopez was close to Zion, and he she put brass knuckles on his fist. Well, in his hands, and then he put it in his fist. Uh, he was shocked to see brass knuckles on his hands, and then the referee saw that, so he took the brass knuckles off his hands, threw him to Joaquin Wilde, who was on the ring apron at the time, ran over, punched him in the head, and then that's whenever Santos was able to get the drop on uh Zion Quinn and hit him with the Phantom Driver. After this, we go backstage now and we got Diamond Mine walking backstage and they mention how Roderick Strong is the champion in NXT and then out of nowhere, when you mention the champion of NXT, you got to mention Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo and Trick walk up on Malcolm Bivens and Carmelo mentions that he is the champion of NXT and that whenever you mention the champion of NXT, you got to mention him. Malcolm states that Roderick Strong beat Odyssey Jones and Joe Gacy, and that next week he's going to beat Braun Breaker, so that will solidify him as the champion. Carmelo tells Malcolm that he knows how good Roderick is. He's the last guy standing from that group, and that he's that good. He is the foundation of NXT, but he isn't the A champion, and then he throws his towel at Malcolm Bivens. So Malcolm Bivens is incensed by this, and he's tired of Roderick Strong get disrespected. But from that comment right there, that just lets you know that Kyle O'Reilly isn't in NXT anymore. And how Carmella just said that Roderick is the last guy standing from that certain group, a.k.a. the Undisputed Era, which had Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong. 
yeah, Roddy's the last guy in NXT, and Kyle's basically out of WWE. Uh, now it's time for the main segment of the night. Johnny Gargano's in-ring promo to tell his uh, fans, the NXT universe, what's going to happen next. Johnny comes out there, and he's full of emotions. He walks uh, to the fans. He starts high-fiving them. You could tell as he's walking and making his way, like, into the ring, he's full of emotions. You can tell in his face he's been holding back tears. He's just soaking in all the cheers and adulations from the fans. He mentions that he loves the fans, and he starts telling his story of how he got into NXT. He mentions how in 2015 uh, he had a trial for NXT, but they told him no because he wasn't big enough. But William Regal would bring him in for a dark match against Apollo Crews in that match, in that fans cheer for Johnny so much the uh, people in the back had to keep bringing him back every week even though he wasn't under contract Johnny Gargano then starts to mention a list of names of people that held him in NXT he mentioned Shawn Michaels, Triple H uh, a former female wrestler uh, Serena Deed he mentions Matt Bloom formerly known as A-Train in WWE he mentions some trainers some uh, tra- uh, physical health trainers uh, the medical staff people. He mentions people in NXT that basically helps run NXT to bring you the talent that you see right now. He just mentioned that without them, you wouldn't have Johnny Gargano here and that he just wants to show his appreciation to them. He even then starts telling the fans that he doesn't know what his future holds for him. But he does know that in February, he will become a dad because Candice LeRae is pregnant and she's going to be basically due in February. So he's going to become a dad. And that's the most important job he will ever do. And as he's talking to the fans, you can hear certain fans start to boo. And you see some fans starting to point over in a direction. But we don't see what's coming next. We just see fans pointing a little bit. And the camera's really focused on Johnny Gargano. And then out of nowhere, Grayson Waller hits Johnny Gargano in the back with a steel chair. Waller then throws Johnny Gargano out of the ring and follows him uh, out of the ring. Johnny then puts a chair around Johnny Gargano's neck and slams it onto the steel steps. So Johnny's now holding his throat. You can hear him coughing up. Waller then goes to the commentary table, like clears the commentary table off, and he goes back to Johnny, and then he lifts up Johnny and hits him with a powerbomb through the table. Waller then has the camera focused on him, and he says that this isn't Johnny's house anymore. This is his house, and Waller is basically booed out of the whole place. People are starting to boo him, calling him an a-hole and everything. So, as I said on a War Games review, I said Johnny Gargano was either A, he was going to sign, let people know that he resigned a new deal, or either B, he was going to make a new star, because that's usually what happens whenever... Uh, talent leaves another promotion, and that's basically what happened. Kyle O'Reilly left tonight, well, left on NXT, and he made Von Wagner a star to be. Johnny Gargano is leaving NXT, and he's basically making Grayson Waller a star to be. This is why I say the Miz should have been at NXT for Grayson Waller, so he can give Grayson Waller the tips and tricks to how to become a professional wrestler, a superstar in WWE. So this tonight, 
was Grayson Waller's basically jumpstart to that, being the most hated guy in NXT. And probably next week I see uh, Tommaso Ciampa going after Grayson Waller for this because Tommaso is friends with Johnny Gargano, even though they had rivalries at war games, they were able to uh, hug it out and they were able to really embracing each other one last time as DIY, that team that everybody fell in love with in 2016. So again, more than likely, we're probably going to get Tommaso Ciampa uh, going out next week to defend his partner in crime next week on NXT. If not, I see Grayson Waller coming out on NXT next week peacocking and talking about how he ended the career of Johnny Gargano in NXT and now we'll never see him again. But anyway, that is the end of your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite, and AEW Dynamite is coming from Long Island, New York. The reason why I specifically said Long Island, New York is because this is the hometown of MJF, the hometown boy has come home, and the first thing that starts off AEW Dynamite was MJF's music comes out, the fans are cheering, they can't wait to see their boy come back so they can cheer him just like every other wrestling crowd does whenever they hit their hometown hero come back. They get the music playing at MJF. The fans are cheering. They're just waiting for MJF to come out. But who decides to walk out is none other than CM Punk. As soon as Punk walks out through the tunnel, the fans start booing Punk. And Punk stands on the stage for a little bit. He looks at the crowd. And then he starts walking down to the ring. And he, he gets on the mic. And he is just playing the booze up. He is just... he's so excited to be getting these boos that he just plays it up and here's a small taste of what CM Punk said to the Long Island crowd that's all you got man Chicago is so much louder bully no punches I love it seriously that's all you got somebody called Barry Trotz I figured out why the Islanders have yet to win a game in this building wow now, as you can hear from that clip, Punk is trying to get the crowd rowdy up and really make them hate him. Punk, before Punk really like gets into MGF, he asks the long out of the crowd, is MGF your guy? The crowd cheers for this, and they're cheering for MGF. They're uh, showing off their Burberry scarves that MGF wears. They are uh, showing people in the crowd holding up uh, signs of MGF oh like owns Long Island, basically giving their support to MJF. Punk says, man, it's starting to get hot in here. Hold on one second. He takes off his jacket and he is wearing a shirt that has Darby Allen, John Goldboy, Sammy Guevara, and Britt Baker on it. And it's those four individuals as pillars holding up a building, basically the four pillars of AEW. And you, on commentary, I believe it was Escalibur or Tony Stravani pointing out that you can mention you see somebody's not mentioned on that uh pillar in this MGF because MGF got replaced by Britt Baker going back to what CM Punk said a couple weeks ago. MGF uh is not on the shirt, and CM Punk is making that a point by saying that MGF isn't as good as he thinks he is. Punk mentions how MGF is an incel because MGF is going to say that CM Punk is trying to get into the pants of Britt Baker because he's giving her all this praise and adulation 
for being the one to replace MJF on the pillars of AEW. He then asks the crowd again, this is your guy. This is your hero that you guys, like, support. Punk is really doing the rock stuff from 2002. No, 2003, whenever he came back and he wanted to make sure to, and he was getting booed by the fans. And the rock asked the fans, are you sure you want to do this? And the fans were still booing him. And then rock rolled with it. CM Punk rolled with it on tonight. Uh, he made sure that the crowd really hated him. And anytime they were booing, he just went back to trashing their hockey team, the Islanders. And the crowd was still booing more. And the grand thing about this promo is that Punk basically said that, listen, I threw the gauntlet down to him in Chicago. I threw the gauntlet down to him uh, last week. So I'm throwing down the gauntlet to him this week. Because next week, I'm going to be watching uh, the AEW World Championship match between Hangman Page and Brian Danielson. Because I'm going to have my eye on that match. And I'm pretty sure MJF is going to have his eye on that match too. And I want to be the next to go after whoever wins that match. And MJF does too. So, one of us has to be the one to go after him. So, he's throwing out the gauntlet again. He throws out the gauntlet, and MGF basically has to pick it up, and whenever they have their match, their match will more than likely be for the number one contender to see who goes to face for the AEW World Championship. And CM Punk leaves uh, the ring, and now it's time for the AEW Dynamite Dozens Battle Royal, where the last two members of the Battle Royal will be going off against one another next week on Winter is Coming for the AEW Dynamite Ring. In the match, we had Lee Moriarty, Jay Lethal, uh, Team Taz members Will Hobbs, Ricky Starks, Dante Martin, Matt Seidel, Matt Hardy, uh, MJF, Warlow, and Leo Rush. Uh, the last three members of this match had MJF, Ricky Starks, and Dante Martin as the last guys in the match. Uh, it looks like it was going to come down to Dante Martin and Ricky Starks because, remember, they're part of Team Taz. They only got to throw out MJF, and it'll be a Team Taz going against Team Taz member for the Dynamite ring. But Dante Martin throws Ricky Starks out of the ring, and then he throws down the FTW armband. This was nothing but a ruse between Dante Martin and Leo Rush to infiltrate FTW, Team Taz. So it's announced that next week, it'll be MJF going against Dante Martin for the AEW Dynamite ring. After the match, MJF lifts up the arm of Dante Martin and leaves out of the ring. Ricky Starks attacks Dante Martin from behind and continues to do so as MGF is on the entrance ramp and he's looking and contemplating whether he should come back to the ring and try to help Dante Martin or not as the fans are cheering for MJF. He does it. He runs back to the ring. He gets in Ricky Stark's face. He shoves Ricky. Ricky shoves MGF. It looks like those two are about to fight. But then MGF jumps on Dante Martin and starts beating on Dante Martin as Ricky Stark's help MGF beat on Dante Martin. These two continue to beat on Dante Martin until CM Punk runs down to the ring. And MGF rolls out of the ring. So now it's Ricky Starks, Punk, and Dante Martin. Ricky is staring down Punk and he's mouthing off to Punk until Dante Martin turns Ricky around, hits him with an insiguri, and then Punk grabs Ricky Starks up for a GTS, hits him with a GTS, and then looks at MGF on the ramp. MGF claps it up for CM Punk and then walks to the back. So this is continuing. They're further uh, along the lines of. 
basically CM Punk getting underneath the skin of MGF. And we'll have to see what happens next week because remember, Dynamite Ring match, uh, Dante Martin going against MGF. And more than like, I hope we see Dante Martin win. I'm tired of seeing MGF with that Dynamite Ring. I want to see Punk really screw with MGF and make him lose that Dynamite Ring next week. That's what I'm hoping that we're going with here. But only time will tell. After this match, we will get an eight-man tag team match. Jurassic Express and the Hollywood Blondes with Julia Hart in their corner going against the Acclaimed. And 2.0 with Daniel Garcia in their corner. Jurassic Express and the Varsity Blondes will win the match by submission when Jungle Boy locks in the snare trap on Max Caster and Max Caster uh, taps out. During the closing moments of the match, however... Daniel Garcia would get on the ring apron and try to distract the referee, but he was pulled down by Eddie Kingston, and Eddie Kingston then threw him into the steel steps. After the match, Eddie brings a cameraman to the backstage, and we see Eddie just, like, talking to the cameraman, but we can't hear nothing, and we see Ortiz walk up to Eddie and try to calm him down, but Eddie will push Ortiz, and you see those two talking as Ortiz is trying to calm Eddie down, but you still don't hear nothing. And then we see Daniel Garcia and 2.0 attack both Ortiz and Kingston, and they will lay them both out backstage. So it's setting up for probably Santana and Ortiz with Kingston to go against uh, 2.0 and Daniel Garcia probably next week, either on Dynamite or on Rampage. That's more than likely the match that we're probably going to get next week. Uh, after this, we get FTR and Tully Blanchard backstage promo, and they're hyping up their Rampage match for the AEW Tag Team Championships against the Lucha Brothers. This match will be the rematch from their match at full gear. And more or less, it's probably going to be a good match. We'll have to see. Uh, after this, we get a tag team match. And this time it's the Young Bucks with Adam Cole in their corner. And also Brandon Cutler in the corner as well. Going against Rocky Romero and Chuck Taylor with Orange Cassidy in their corner. The Young Bucks win the match by pinfall. When the Young Bucks would hit the Meltzer driver on Rocky Romero for the win. After the match, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole attack both Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. And as they're putting the boots to him, Willie Yuta comes down to the ring and he tries to put an effort to save his friends, but to no avail as he gets attacked and beat up by the Elite. Uh, Orange gets hit with a Panama Sunrise by Adam Cole. The Young Bucks then lift up Orange Cassidy and the Bucks and Cole are looking to hit a BTE trigger on Orange Cassidy, but the best friend's music hits, and then the camera angle goes over, and we see a white van rolling into the arena, and the driver of that white van was Sue. She is the mother of Trent, and Trent is in the back of the van, and he comes out, and he walks over to his mother, gives his mother a kiss, while his mother gives him a kiss on the cheek, and he walks down to the ring, and Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy still laid out, but Trent is now walking towards the ring with a fresh hairdo. He's basically bald now, a buzz cut. He gets in the ring, and he just starts taking out all members of the Elite. He beats up on both Young Bucks, and he beats up on Adam Cole. He basically sends the Elite packing out of the ring, and then we get the best friends, which consists of Chuck Taylor, Trent, Orange Cassidy, Wheeler Yuta, and Chris Statlander and also Rocky Romero, all hugging each other. So now the whole unit of the best friends are basically back together now. Trent has been away for months now. I believe almost a year, solid. So 
it's good to see Trent back in uh, AEW. I think he had to get some type of surgery done. I think he got like uh, something with his back or his neck, one of the two. But it's good to see Trent back. I hope that he's basically healthy-wise, like extremely healthy to get back into the ring. Because again, ladies and gentlemen, professional wrestling might be uh, predetermined. But those them getting slammed on the mat, them getting hit with chairs, them going through tables, that kind of stuff still hurts. Uh, anyway, we go backstage now in this uh, Ruby Soho backstage interview. Uh, before she could even say anything, it was crashed by both Penelope Ford and the Bunny, who informs Ruby that neither Rose informed him that whenever she wins the TBS championship, those two will get the first crack at the championship if they beat up Ruby Soho, because Ruby's supposed to be going against Nyla next in the tournament semifinals. Uh, and she informs Ruby that on Rampage, it will be a six-women's tag team match with the Bunny and Penelope teaming up with Nyla, going against Ruby and two partners of Ruby's choosing. Ruby says, why wait until Rampage? And then punches the Bunny, and then we get Nyla Rose out of nowhere, punching Ruby in the face, and then they, then she's joined by both Penelope Ford and the Bunny on jumping uh, Soho until Ty Conti and Anna Jay makes the save with steel chairs, so we would get our teams for Rampage. It'll be Nyla Rose, the Bunny, and Penelope Ford going against uh, Ruby Soho, Ty Conti, and Anna Jay. Tony Schiavone is now on the entrance stage, and he's with the TNT champion, Sammy Guevara. Tony is giving it up to Sammy for constantly winning his TNT championship uh, open challenges matches and retaining his TNT championship. And before Sammy could even say anything, out walks out Cody Rhodes. He congratulates Sammy and lets him know that on Christmas Day, it will be him going against Cody for the TNT Championship by the orders of Tony Khan. But here's the great thing about this segment right here. Cody Rhodes entered walking through the good guy tunnel. Fans are booing Cody. Cody has been getting booed by fans for the past number of months. And Cody is not stupid. He knows exactly how to play it up because once he gives the message to Sammy, he hears the fans boom, he gives a little wink and smile, and then he's about to walk past Sammy and walk towards the villain tunnel, and then he stops, and then he turns around and walks back to the good guy tunnel. So he's playing with the fans. He's he's teetering that edge of basically, he's about to turn full villain, but we're going to have to wait for that just a little bit more longer. Then, out of nowhere, we hear the voice of Ethan Page on the arena systems, and they pan over to Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky in the nosebleed seats, and Ethan mentions how Cody is able to just jump the line because he's an EVP and kisses the butt of Tony Khan, while Ethan Page had to jump hurdles to get his shot at the TNT Championship. Ethan also mentioned that Lambert, Dan Lambert is coming back to AEW, so we're going to see more Dan Lambert basically with MMA guys with the men of the year. Uh, Scorpius guy then gets on the mic and tells Sammy that he's ducking real challengers, challengers that are in the top five ranking system like Scorpio himself. So Scorpion, Scorpio basically calls out Sammy Guevara. Sammy throws out the challenge that he's, he lays the title down. He says, I'm right here. We don't get no confirmation of Sammy going against Scorpio Sky. We'll probably have to wait for that uh, next week on AEW Dynamite. But that's the end of this segment.
after this segment, we go down to in-ring competition. It is Riho going against Jamie Hayter with Rebel and Britt Baker in her corner. And Riho will win the match by pinfall. When she hits an avalanche crucifix bomb on Jamie, then sets her up for the running uh, knee to Jamie's face. And that basically puts Jamie down for the win. After the match, Britt Baker attacks Riho from behind and then locks her in the lockjaw to make Riho more uh, more weaker for whenever Britt Baker has to face uh, Riho for the AEW Women's Championship. After this, we go back to the entrance stage and it's Tony Schiavone with the Varsity Blondes as they're on the entrance stage. And Tony was about to interview the Varsity Blondes, but the lights go out. And once they come right back on, Malachi Black is there just staring at the Varsity Blondes who out on their side has Julia Hart right beside them. Malachi Black looks at them and he sprays the mist into Julia's face, the black mist. And then the lights go out and we hear Julia Hart just start screaming and uh, Brian Pillman Jr. is yelling for somebody to give them a towel so they can probably try to wipe the stuff off of Julia's face and get a medic so people can look at Julia. Let me say something right now. This segment could have went perfectly if Malachi was just a couple more steps closer towards Julia Hart to spray her like fully with the black mist. That black mist didn't show up that much on her. It showed up a little bit on Brian Pillman's uh, jacket. I understand where they're trying to go here with this. There's been uh, theories that they're going to try to, like, that mist corrupts people. Hey, we're going to see what it does. But I just say, if you're going to spray somebody with black mist, and Malachi Black knows how to do this because he did it with Pac uh, for the past two weeks. Uh, if you're gonna spray somebody with mist, you gotta you gotta commit to it. You gotta commit to it, commit to it fully. And I understand in this day and age, you can't do things fully of a man against a woman. But if you're gonna do this, you can't half buddy. You gotta do it all the way. Uh, anyway, now it's time for the main event: Brian Danielson going against John Silver, and John Silver is another hometown boy of Long Island. Brian Danielson ends up winning the match by knockout, however. Brian Danielson was able to bash uh, John Silver with forearms to the neck, didn't deliver a gotch-style pile driver, and it looked like John Silver was already knocked out by this point. Then Brian Pillman, not Brian Pillman, but Brian Danielson was able to lock Silver into some type of submission, and then the referee just called the match. So Brian wins by knockout. After the match, Brian gets on the microphone and he starts listing off Dark Order members that he kicked their heads in. He lists off Uno, he lists off Cole Cabana, he lists off Don, uh, Alan Angels, and he stopped right there and he says, I didn't kick in John Silver's head in, and if anything, I am a man of my word, so I'm going to kick John Silver's head in. He drops the mic, walks over to John Silver, grabs both of his arms, and proceeds to stomp on Silver until Hangman Page runs to the ring and makes the save. He starts punching Brian Danielson until Brian slips out of the ring. Hangman then gets on the mic, and he tells Brian that he's going to kick the cowboy crap out of Brian next week in their AEW World title match. And that's the end of your AEW uh, Dynamite highlights with Hangman basically promoting his world title match against Brian Danielson next week on AEW Dynamite. But again, that is your AEW Dynamite highlights of the week. 
Now it's time for the Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Impact starts off with an intergender tag team match, which means a guy and a girl on one team and a guy and a girl on another team. And unlike a mixed tag team and a mixed tag team match, uh, only women and women can have physical contact with each other. In an intergender match, a man and a woman can actually fight and wrestle in this matchup, which happened in this matchup. It was the team of Chris Saban and Mickey James going against the team of Matthew Raywalt and Deanna Perrazzo. Deanna and Matthew win the match by pinfall when Mickey James jumps off the top turnbuckle and nails Deanna Peraza with a Thez press and covers her. But Deanna was able to reverse out of that pin pinning attempt and uh, nail Mickey with her own pinning attempt. And as the referee is counting the pinfall, the referee doesn't see Deanna holding Matthew's hand and they're uh, giving each other leverage. So, uh, the referee counts to three, and Deanna wins the match uh, by nefarious means, if you will. Uh, we go backstage now, and Matt Cardona is being interviewed, and it's announced that at Hard to Kill, it will be a triple threat match for the Impact World Championship with Matt Cardona, W. Morrissey, and Impact World Champion, Moose. Matt said that it will be one full year at Hard to Kill since he's been in Impact Wrestling, and the only thing he's wanted is to have an Impact World Championship match, and he can't wait to... Have that at Hard to Kill. WC, w. Morrissey then walks up on Matt Cardona and says that, see, that's the problem with you, Matt. You will take whatever is given to you while I take whatever I want. Morrissey makes it real clear that he's going to take out someone before Hard to Kill, so that triple threat match will be a singles match. Cardona then issues a challenge to Morrissey tonight that in a one-on-one match, he tells him that if he wins, if Morrissey wins the match, Cardona will back out of that world title match, and it'll be a straight one-on-one match between Morrissey and Moose. But Cardona says that Morrissey's going to learn tonight that Matt Cardona is hard to kill. We then get a violence by design video, and the main focus is that their focus is on Rhino because Eric Young has a match against Rhino tonight, and Eric makes it real clear that Rhino made a mistake challenging him to a street fight. That's it for that video. Um, after this, we go to in-ring competition. It is Rohit Raju with Raj Singh in his corner going against Lawrence D, formerly known as Larry D. Uh, the match ends in a no contest when in the middle of the match, Josh Alexander walks from the back and walks to the ring, enters the ring, and tells Rohit Raju to leave out of the ring. Rohit tries to punch Josh, but Josh catches the punch, kicks Rohit in the gut, and it hits him with a powerbomb to his knee. Josh then grabs a microphone and tells Jonah to get out here. Jonah doesn't come out, but Scott Demore does. Scott tells Josh to calm down and that the reason why Jonah isn't going to come out here is because he's in the building. Scott sent Jonah home. He told him not to even show up. Scott then tells Josh that he made the match between Jonah and Josh at hard to kill and that Josh should be satisfied with that and he'll just have to wait. Josh tells Scott that he's ready right now and tells Scott that he's testing his patience. Scott tells Josh that he's teaching him how to be patient and that he needs to get his emotions in check. Josh is so furious at this moment that he gets out of the ring, grabs Raj Singh, throws him into the ring, and hits him with a C4 spike. Josh then tells Scott that this is how he keeps his emotions in check and leaves out of the ring. So we got Josh Alexander just upset. Josh makes it real known that he wants to get Jonah out of his way so he can get back to the world title picture against Moose and take back his Impact World title. 
uh, championship. So Josh sees Jonah as a uh, bump in the road, and he wants to hurry up and get this bump out of the road so he can get back to the world title picture. We then flash to Chris Bay and Hikaleo walking backstage, and then they're stopped by a Impact Wrestling uh, media mo- uh, member, and they ask Chris Bay and Hikaleo to sign some posters from Turning Point. Chris tells him no because they didn't win the tag titles at that pay-per-view, and now he tries to hit uh, that person's belt because Chris Bay says that since he didn't win the tag team belts, he wants to grab his belt. Chris Bay takes the man's belt, and then Laredo Kid makes the save and then grabs the belt from Bay and gives it back to that guy. Laredo then starts speaking Spanish to Chris Bay, and then he walks away. So we're setting up a match probably next week between Chris Bay and Laredo Kid. After this, we see Steve Macklin talking to Scott Demore backstage, and he asks Scott Demore for an X Division Championship match because he hasn't been pinned or submitted, and that Trey Miguel didn't beat him to retain his X Division Championship. Scott tells Scott Scott tells Steve that he's right, that he hasn't been beaten, but Steve hasn't beaten anybody lately. So Scott reprimands Steve for putting his hand on a security guard also last week. So Scott ultimately tells Steve Macklin no. Steve doesn't say nothing to Scott. He just walks away still with a stoic face. Then you get Rosemary and Havoc walking up on Scott Demore and ask him about the women that will be participating in the Ultimate X knockouts match. Uh, Scott tells them that, you know what, for the first time in a while, he's done something for himself. So he's given that responsibility off to somebody else to pick who's going to be in the Ultimate X match. And he walks away. So now we go back to in-ring competition. It's a tag team match between the Learning Tree's own Ziggy Dice and VSK going against Finjuice. Finjuice wins the match by pinfall when they hit the sidewalk slam elbow drop combination, a.k.a. known, better known as Demolition's uh, finisher. Uh, then we go backstage now to Morrissey stretching, and Moose walks up to Morrissey. Moose tells him that he isn't mad about what Morrissey did to him last week. Going back to last week, Morrissey big-booted Moose in the face. Moose tells Morrissey that they both have a problem. They both don't want their match at Hard to Kill to be a triple threat match, so Moose tells Morrissey that for one last time, let's team up together tonight to take out Cardona. Morrissey tells Moose that he doesn't trust him and that he doesn't need him and that he could take care of Cardona all by himself tonight, and then he walks away. Now we go to the ring, and it's a street fight between Eric Young and Rhino. And Eric Young wins the match by pinfall when Eric was able to hit Rhino with a pile driver after Heath, Willie Mack, Rich Swan, the rest of the members of Violence by Designs, and the Good Brothers get into the match in the closing moments. So now we have a big old brawl on the outside, and Rhino tries to go for a pile driver, but Eric Young was able to low blow Rhino and then hit him with a pile driver to end the match. After the match, however, Violence by Design and the Good Brothers throw in Heath, Willie Mack, and Rich Swan into the ring, and they're already laid out. And you see Violence by Design talking with the Good Brothers, and it seems like Eric Young was telling the Good Brothers that this was a one-time deal, and that they stay over there, we stay over here, type of thing. So what happens to see what happens next week? Maybe if they want to uncover more to that, who knows? Uh, we go backstage now, and it's the influence. In the inspiration backstage, and they're doing this whole fake friends thing. They're, uh, you got Tennille that's happy to see the inspiration. The inspiration is happy to see Tennille, 
and they're just faking this whole thing out. And then they get asked, what's their name of this big old supergroup that they're potentially in? And then you see the inspiration say the inspiration influence. And then Tanil says, oh, that's that's cute, but they got a better name. It's the inspiration, it's the influential inspiration. So you see both teams bicker back and forth about the team name, but ultimately they would end up walking away not having a team name. Setting up for our next match, an eight-person tag match with the inspiration and the influence with Caleb by their corner going against all members of DK, Black Tarus, Rosemary, Crazy Steve, and Havoc. DK wins the match by pinfall when Black Tarus has Tennille in a press slam position and throws her out of the ring and she lands on Caleb. The inspiration is then seen arguing with Madison Rain and Madison's arguing with inspiration about they should have caught uh, Tennille and uh, the inspiration is yelling at Madison for not catching Tennille. You see those two, that group, just arguing with each other and they don't notice that Havoc grabbed Tennille from out of the ring and threw her back into the ring and Rosemary speared Tennille for the win. Then we go backstage and we see Lady Frost, the newest member of the Nightgust Division, uh, being interviewed. And Scott Demore walks up to her and welcomes her to the Impact Wrestling roster. Frost then asks Scott that who is going to ask some point blank, who's going to be a part of the Knockouts Ultimate X match because she feels that the Ultimate X is designed specifically for Lady Frost. Scott tells her that he isn't the guy to speak to, but the newest member of our management team is the person that you should be speaking to, and it is Gail Kim. Gail Kim is a pioneer in Impact Wrestling. She helped lead the Knockouts division back in, what, 2006 or 05-ish? I want to say 06. But anyway, um, Gail Kim's there. She's now going to be the new woman uh, basically taking over the Knockouts division, their general manager, if you will. Gail Kim informs Lady Frost that she's happy that she's a part of this company and she gives Lady Frost the opportunity and tells her that she's a part of the Ultimate X match along with Tasha Steeles, Rachel Ellering, Jordan Grace, Chelsea Green, and Rosemary. Now remember, the winner of that match will get a future Knockouts Championship match. So I probably might say, if I had my chance and I had my guess, it would probably be somebody like Lady Frost, since she is new to the company. Uh, that'll be my best guess to uh, pick out the winner already for this Ultimate X match, but with nothing but uh, knockouts of uh, females. Uh, now it's time for the main event. It's W. Morrissey going against Matt Cardona. And remember, if Matt Cardona does lose his match, he will be out of their uh, triple threat match at Hard to Kill for the Impact World Championship. But that doesn't happen because Matt Cardona wins the match by disqualification when Morrissey was beating up a bloody Matt Cardona in the ring corner and the referee was counting for Morrissey to get off of Cardona. But the first time he did this, first time the referee was counting Morrissey to get off of Cardona, Morrissey told the referee to shut up. The second time uh, this occurred, Morrissey was punching Cardona in the head and as the referee was counting up to Ford, Morrissey's uh, arm got grabbed by the referee and Morrissey threw the referee off of him, and the referee got up, he held onto his shirt, and he yelled at Morrissey that I'm the referee around here, and he ring calls for the bell to ring, so the referee uh, basically throws the match out, so uh, Cardona is still part of their 
uh, world title match at Hard to Kill. Morrissey gets up in the referee's face, hits him with a big boot. So now Morrissey then turns his attention back to Cardona, lifts him up, and hits him with a powerbomb. Chelsea Green, uh, Matt Cardona's fiance, runs down to the ring and starts checking up on Cardona. And then you see Moose run out of nowhere and he runs into the ring and then he tells Morrissey to pick up Cardona so Moose can hit him with the Impact Championship. Morrissey tells Moose no. Moose tells Morrissey again to pick up Cardona. Morrissey tells Moose that he isn't the boss of him. Moose then gets in Morrissey's face and shoves Morrissey. Morrissey then decides to big boot Moose in the face. And as Moose is now uh, rolling out of the ring, Morrissey focuses attention back on Cardona and yells at Chelsea to move, which she doesn't move. So Morrissey has to walk over to uh, Chelsea and move her by grabbing her by her arm and throwing her off of Cardona. This gives Cardona his second gust of wind, and Cardona starts getting up, and he double underhooks Morrissey by the legs, and now you see Cardona start punching Morrissey, and he's now tearing Morrissey up a little bit, and he even at one point was able to hit Morrissey in the face with a boot to the face, and Morrissey falls out of the ring. Cardona then picks up the Impact World title that's left in the ring. He grabs it, lifts it up in the air, and this could be a preview of what you can see at Hard to Kill with Matt Cardona uh, winning the Impact World Championship. He then walks over to Chelsea to see if she's okay. He slings his arm over her. And the last image that you see on Impact is Matt Cardona holding the Impact World title as Chelsea's there right beside him. And that is your Impact Wrestling highlight of the week. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with Sami Zayn coming down to the ring, but he's not just able body. No, 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 no. My man is coming down in a wheelchair. He has a neck brace on and a boot because of the injuries that he sustained last week uh, during the hands of both Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Um, he was wheeled down to the ring by two buff like male nurses, but as soon as they get him in the ring, he gets on the microphone and he talks about how both uh, Roman and Brock worked together to make sure he didn't become the Universal Champion last week and that he mentioned that this is some type of conspiracy because you got Roman and Brock, two men that don't like each other, but somehow they worked together to make sure that Sammy, him, did not uh, get his fair chance at becoming the Universal Champion last week. He talks about how he's going to sue Adam Pierce, Sonya Deville, the referee, Roman, Brock, anybody that had anything to do with him being robbed of his opportunity last week. He goes on this big spiel, and then Paul Heyman comes out, and he apologizes to the fans that they had to deal with Sami Zayn just talking gibberish. Paul then uh, goes to his shtick, and he introduces himself. He calls himself the advocate, too, and then Sami interrupts him. Paul tells Sami to be quiet. And then he goes back to doing his shtick again. And then Sammy has to tell Paul again, you're in my way, Paul. You're blocking the camera away from me. Paul doesn't pay Sammy no attention. And then Sammy starts slowly get up out of the wheelchair, still with boot and neck brace still on. And he starts walking over to Paul real slowly. And he's telling Paul point blank, listen, I know Roman's not here tonight. And even though I have a neck brace on and a boot on, I am still a trained athlete, and I can still rip your head off. 
And he says, nobody here is going to protect you. And then as soon as he says this, Brock Lesnar's music hits and Brock Lesnar comes out and he's wearing overalls still with the ponytail too. So my man is really out here just really living life. He isn't going to go back to that buzz cut no time soon. Uh, he goes around the ring. He grabs a steel chair. He goes inside the ring. He grabs the microphone away from Paul Heyman. He sets the chair up and he sits down and he stares at Sami Zayn. Brock tries to uh, entertain himself with Sammy. He tells Sammy that they're both Canadians. They're both Canadian alpha males. And he tells Sammy point blank, listen, you didn't have a shot at winning last week against Roman Reigns. If anything, I did what I did last week to help you. And Sammy says, let me make sure I get this right. You did what you did last week to help me because you wanted me to have a disadvantage against Roman and say that that win wouldn't have counted. Brock says, you got it, kid. You're on your, you're on the right steps. So Brock then tries to get Sammy to leave the ring with him so they can go hunting and fishing in Saskatchewan. And Sammy is real, real like, he isn't trying to deal with it. He isn't with it because he's a vegan and he even told Brock that, listen, I'm a vegan and I'm, I don't even do any of that. And then he tried to, like weasel out of his still, but Brock being Brock, he kicks the chair and he starts walking over to Sammy and he starts intimidating Sammy Zane. Sammy ultimately says, okay, fine, we'll do it. And Brock starts wheeling Sammy close to the ropes. And then Paul Heyman has to go behind Brock, grab the microphone from him. And he says, what is this? And Paul is just flabbergasted at all this, seeing how Brock is so friendly to Sammy Zane and just it's out of character for regular Brock Lesnar. Paul said, if this was three years ago, that type of attitude would have got Sammy a first-class ticket to Suplex City. And then you start seeing Paul Heyman start doing his whole advocate stick, the type of deal that he used to do whenever he was advocating for Paul for Brock Lesnar. And he just starts hyping Brock up. He calls him, you're Brock Lesnar. You're the king. You know, you're the conqueror. You're the man that could be the next universal champion. And this is hyping Brock Lesnar so much up that he just starts destroying the two male nurses. And then he even looks at Sami Zayn and kicks him in the chest. And then he picks him up for the F5. And then he leaves the ring. So Brock is now getting back to old Brock mentality. And in doing this, you see that Brock kind of played chess with... Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman, because once he goes to the back and he's walking backstage, you see Kayla Braxton trying to interview Brock and she asks Brock, what was the reason for him to coming out to the ring? Brock says, why don't you ask my advocate, Paul Heyman? And then he walks away from Kayla. So this is setting up for Paul Heyman to really deal with the consequences for this because Paul jumped back into his old advocate stick with Brock Lesnar at the beginning of the show. And you could tell that Everything is slowly unraveling. It seems that Paul Heyman was playing Roman Reigns to get the Universal Championship closer to Brock Lesnar. Anyway, after this, it will be time for a tag team match with Los Lotharios, which is Andrew Garza and Humberto Carrillo going against Rick Boogs in the Intercontinental Championship, Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura and Rick Boogs win the match by pinfall when Nakamura was able to hit Humberto with the Kinshasa for the win. This was a saying, this was a uh, 
quick, simple match, no more, no less. I want them to quickly take that Intercontinental Championship off of Shinsuke Nakamura because if Shinsuke is not going to defend that Intercontinental Championship, there's no need for him to have it. Give it to somebody else that actually needs it and they can do do something with that title like they're doing with the United States Championship on Raw with Damian Priest. That's all I ask. Let that Intercontinental Championship be prestigious as it already has a reputation to be the workhorse champion. With Nakamura, he could be the workhorse, but some for some rhyme or reason, somebody on the creative team on SmackDown just don't find something with Nakamura or the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, I hope they take it off of him. Give it to Ricochet. Hurry up and give it to Ricochet. He needs to do something. He's an athletic talent. He could be literally your just a taller version and quicker and more flippy flippy version of Rey Mysterio. Really, really, to be honest with you. Just look at Ricochet and look what he did in Lucha Underground. Literally, stop what you're doing right now. Google or go to YouTube Lucha Underground Prince Puma. And you'll see exactly what Ricochet did under a mask. And that was, what, five years ago, 2016-ish? And you'll see exactly what I mean. And he's still in great condition now that he can do exactly those exact same moves today. Give Ricochet the kind of championship. Please, I beg of you. Anyway, we go backstage now. And it's now time for King Woods to get presented with a new crown. Since his last crown got stomped on by Roman Reigns. And King Woods... Uh, new crown is basically a big old golden crown with like X's in uh, four corners of the crown. Big X's for Xavier. And King Woods then makes the proclamation about tonight. Him and Sir Kofi Kingston will go into battle against RK Bro and the Usos tonight to see who is the best tag team in WWE today. Because in the main event of SmackDown, it will be a triple threat match. A triple threat tag team match of RK Bro, the Usos, and the New Day to, de- to declare who is the great tag team in WWE right now. Anyway, after this, we go to Adam Pierce's office, and Adam Pierce is on his desk, uh, texting on his phone. And Drew McIntyre walks in with his sword. Drew Drew asks Adam, "Was he the one that kept him from the Battle Royal two weeks ago?" Adam tells her that Sonya made the list, and it was approved by the higher ups, and Drew has to be told by Adam that he can't take his sword to the ring with him tonight. So Drew then sticks the sword right through Adam Pierce's desk and then leaves. So now we go to in-ring competition. It is Sheamus going against Drew McIntyre. And Drew will win in this hard-fought, uh, hard-hitting match by pinfall when he was able to hit the Claymore kick on Sheamus for the win. However, after the match, we go backstage and we see Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss have the desk that has Drew's sword in it, and they wheel it out. And I'm not sure what they're going to do with it. They're probably going to sell it on eBay. After this, they play a tribute video to Hall of Famer Black Jack Lanza, who just passed away this week. He was 86. Um, They said he was in poor health, but anyway, um, that is still a long life. 86 is still a long life. He was able to live long. He was, even after uh, in professional wrestling, he was still, well, after his in-ring time in professional wrestling, he was still working backstage with WWE Productions, either as a on-stage hand or a producer or something of the equation for WWE. So he still had WWE ties either way. Uh, rest in peace and God uh, speed to the lands of family. Uh, after this, we see Caleb Braxton walking up on Paul Heyman backstage and asking him, was he the advocate for Brock Lesnar? 
Paul told Caleb to stop asking him that question. And he started walking away. But Caleb had to stop Paul and told him, what would Roman think about what happened earlier tonight? Paul then looked scared because he didn't realize, well, he didn't recognize or even come to the idea that, oh yeah, Roman isn't here and he always watches stuff on SmackDown. So now he's going to have to explain why he did what he did earlier tonight whenever Roman Reigns walks into the building next week on SmackDown. Now we go to the in-ring competition. is Naomi versus Sonya Deville. This match never happens because when Naomi and Sonya Deville are both in the ring and before the match even can begin, Sonya gets a microphone and introduces Natalia as a special uh, guest ring announcer and Shayna Baszler as the special guest timekeeper for this match. So Naomi knows she's about to be in the world of trouble because uh, Sonya Deville got two of her cronies here. So Naomi immediately gets out of the ring and attacks both of them so she could try to uh, make this a strict one-on-one competition. But Sonya Deville quickly gets out of the ring as soon as Naomi gets in the ring. And she picks up both Natalia and Shayna Baszler and tries to wake them up and tell them to hurry up and surround the ring. So once Shayna Baszler, Natalia, and Sonya Deville have surrounded the ring, you see them get on the ring apron, and it looks like they're about to just rush and maul Naomi. But Zia Lee's music hits, and Zia Lee will come down to the ring, and she will basically team up with Naomi to take out both Natalia and Shayna, leaving Sonya Deville in between Naomi and Zia Lee. Naomi will try to slap uh, Sonya, but Sonya would duck the slap, and then turn around, and then she did eat a spinning kick by Zia Lee. Naomi would then drag DeVille to a ring corner, a corner of the ring, and Naomi was looking to hit her uh, signature split-legged moonsault, but Shayna and Natalia would pull DeVille out of the ring and started walking to the back with her, so this issue between Naomi and Sonya DeVille isn't over, but now they just threw in Zia Lee as a protector for Naomi. Uh, we go backstage now. We have RK Bro backstage with the cast of Jackass Forever. This is supposed to be Jackass's new uh, movie that's supposed to be coming out. But Riddle is happy to see them and acts like a fan while Randy doesn't seem impressed. That's this whole segment. Um, after this, we go now back to the in-ring competition between Tony Storm going against Charlotte Flair. Tony will get the win by DQ when both Charlotte and Tony will be on the ring apron, and Charlotte started stomping on Tony, leading to Tony's head hitting the ring post. The referee sees this. He tells Charlotte to stop stomping on uh, Tony. She would stop, but then she would go back to stomping on Tony again, so the referee has to give her a one, two, start counting up to five, and then once he got to five, he called for the bell, and that's how Tony would end up getting the win for uh, this match by disqualification. However, after the match, Charlotte would get back in the ring and Tony would slowly get to her feet in the ring and then Charlotte would then hit Tony with a big boot to the face. And that's the end of this. But we do know that Tony does get a championship match against Charlotte Flair sometime later in the future. After this, we see Brock Lesnar walking to Adam Pearce's office and getting into his face. Brock would intimidate Adam Pearce and makes it seem like he's about to attack Adam, but he ends up thanking Adam for finding him $1 million because he knows that that money went to a charity, so he thanks him for that. And he also thanks him for suspending him because that gave him time to go moose hunting, and he talked about catching a 2,000-pound moose, hanging it up, 
skinning it, gutting it, and eating it. And he even named it after Adam Pierce himself. He named it Pierce. So every time you look at that moose, he always can remember the time that he got suspended. So that's a way that he kind of intimidates Adam Pierce. Because if you see Adam Pierce, he's kind of just still as wood in this moment. And he's just hoping that Brock does not maul him. And Brock lets him go and he tells Adam good night and enjoy his night. And Adam tells Brock to do the same. So now it's time for the main event. The triple threat tag team match, the Usos, going against RK-Bro, going against The New Day. The New Day will win the match by pinfall when Randy and Jay Uso were the legal men, but King Woods would tag the back of Randy and drop to the floor, so Jay didn't know that Woods was the legal man. Randy would then hit Jimmy Uso with an RKO, then Jay would hit Randy with a super kick, and now Woods would get into the ring, hit Jay with a super kick, and then both Kofi and Woods will hit their tag team finish daybreak, which is a backbreaker double uh, foot stomp on Jay Uso for the win. So the New Day was crowned the greatest tag team in WWE today. And that's how SmackDown ends. But it also, uh, before they did end, they did let people know that Roman Reigns was coming back to SmackDown next week. And uh, we'll have to see if Roman would like put pressure on Paul for basically advocating for Brock Lesnar tonight. And more or less, he probably will. But anyway, that's the end of your uh, SmackDown highlights of the week. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage opens up with an AEW World Tag Team Championship match between FTR and the Lucha Brothers. The Lucha Brothers will win the match and retain their championships by pinfall whenever they were able to hit the Package Piledriver double foot stomp on Cash Wheeler for the win. This was a solid tag team match. I mean, it was a great tag team match between the two. They have great chemistry. I would say this is probably their, to me, this is... Like their third best tag team match, I'll put their uh, first time that they had their matchup for any championships, the AAA championship with the Super Laranas, which was FTR under the mask going against the Lucha Brothers, then their full gear uh, match, and then this one. But again, it was still a great tag team match. After this, it's time for the trio's woman tag team match, basically a six-woman tag team match of the team of Ruby Soho, Anna Jay, and Ty Conte going against... Nyla Rose, The Bunny, and Penelope Ford. Nyla Rose team would win the match by pinfall when Nyla would hit Anna J with the Beast Bomb for the win. Solid uh, six-woman match. Solid. After this, we would see Tony Schiavone backstage with Sting and Darby Allin. He was about to ask them a question, but FTR and Tully Blanchard came out of nowhere and attacked both Sting and Darby Allin. Uh, Sting and Darby were able to fight back a little bit, but the numbers were too much it was still three on two and it ended with Tully Blanchard hitting Sting in the family jewels and Sting dropping down so we're more than less going to get FTR and Tully going against Darby Allen and Sting somewhere down the line because Tully Blanchard did wrestle in 2020 so I can see them doing it again uh sometime later uh after this it's time for the AEW debut of Hook Team Taz's Hook Taz's son Hook going against Fuego Del Sol Hook will win the match by submission whenever he was able to lock in the Taz mission, now renamed Red Rum, for the win. Uh, this was a good debut for Hook. I mean, Hook was able to throw some judo throws, uh, T-bone suplex, and you could tell Hook learned the real basics from his father and even watching some of his father's moves because when he threw uh, Fuego with a 
uh, T-bone suplex. You could tell that's exactly the same way in the same form that his father did it in ECW. So this, they're building up Hook in the right way. So whenever Hook really does like mature and really build up the enough credibility to actually have a long lasting match with somebody with a lot of ring presence, like a Cody or Sammy Guevara or even a Darby Allen or um, MJF, if they ever decided to do that, or even a Jungle Boy, like the younger talent that knows what they're doing in the ring. Trust me, Hook's going to be able to really like deal and hold his own. Trust me, Hook's uh, Hook's fundamentals, his basics are real top-notch. Believe me, when you see the match, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Now, it's time for the main event. Adam Cole with the Young Bucks in his corner and Bobby Fish and Brandon Cutler in his corner as well, going against Wheeler Yudu, who has the best friends and Rocky Romero in his corner. Adam Cole wins the match by pinfall when Adam was able to hit the running knee behind the head of Yuta for the win. Wheeler Yuta was able to take, it, uh, take a bulk of this match of dominating Adam Cole, but in the end, Dom, uh, Adam Cole was able to win the match, period. Uh, after the match, the best friends got in the ring to check on Yuta to make sure he was all right, and then they had to stare down with the Elite, who were also in the ring. Bobby Fish pulled Trent uh, from the inside of the ring to the outside of the ring and gave him a roundhouse kick, and then you start seeing the Elite attacking best friends. The Elite got the better of best friends, and in the end, the Young Bucks held Orange Cassidy so Adam Cole could hit the Panama Sunrise, but Adam instead dropped down off the second turnbuckle and kicked Orange Cassidy in the nuts. Then Bobby Fish threw Trent back in the ring, and the Young Bucks and Adam Cole delivered the BTE trigger on Trent to end the show. So this was AEW's second week in a row on Rampage where the villains, the bad guys, were standing on top as the good guys got their butt beat. I remember last week, it was Penta and Pac getting beat by FTR, and remember Malachi Black, uh, came down and sprayed Pack in the face with the mist. And this week, the elite beat up on the best friends. So it just seems like Rampage is more of a villain esque uh, show for the villains to get like the upper hand, upper hand like at the end of the show to like build up for their AEW Dynamite like show for Wednesday. That's at least my idea of what it is, especially off of these past two day, two weeks. But um, anyway, that was your AEW Rampage uh highlights of the week. And with that, let me give you my social media uh tag so I can get you guys out of here. On Twitter, you can find me at at my two podcasts or Instagram my two cents podcast G two. Uh, email for if you want to email me about anything. Remember, this is the holidays. I am here. There's no need to feel like you have no way to talk to. Trust me, I'm here. My email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. Uh, I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music, Audible for still allowing me to be on your <laughs> systems. Again, people will get mad at me, and I don't know. People haven't said much, but I have a feeling that I rub people the wrong way from time to time but anyway i want to thank these uh places for still allowing me to be here and if you want to look at my past episodes and also look forward to future episodes those are the places where you can find me at i have a sunday episode coming out tomorrow i'll be talking about news topics if you don't want to listen to that that's cool you can always find me again next week for wrestling highlights of the week and with that i love you all and kanye can you please 
take these people home. I'm tired, you tired, uh -huh. Jesus wept. Uh -huh.